Wayne Field once commented, I wonder what would happen if we applied the same standards of loyalty to our Christian activities that we expect from the other areas of our lives. For example, if your car starts as you turn the key once every three tries, would you consider your car reliable? If the postman skips delivery every other week, is he a trustworthy, loyal postman? If you don't go to work once or twice a month, would you be considered a loyal, reliable employee? How about if your refrigerator stops working for a day or two every now and then? Would you say about your refrigerator, oh well, at least it works most of the time. If your water heater provides an icy cold shower unexpectedly every once a month, every now and then, would you consider your water heater dependable? Or if you skip a couple of electricity bill payments, do you think your power company would mine and call you a loyal customer? What if you failed to worship God in your private devotions or in your coming to community? Would you expect to be called a faithful Christian? Wayne writes, we expect loyalty and reliability from things and other people. Isn't it reasonable that when God expects the same from us, that we wouldn't mark Him for it? You see, my friends, a lot of believers do not finish well. Because their version of loyalty to God is a loyalty that is conditioned. It's a loyalty that is not unconditional. It is a loyalty that is conditioned on a wide variety of factors and even of life circumstances. Our Christian loyalty is often, to, is often a loyalty that wavers, a half-hearted loyalty. Now you can tell me this morning that you are loyal to God, but in many ways your actions and your priorities don't show it. And if your actions and your priorities don't show it, then you are not loyal. You see, our loyalty to God is most clearly seen in our actions. But why would we want to be unconditionally loyal to the Lord? And, and what happens when we are disloyal to God? That's what we want to take a look this morning as we continue our sermon series entitled Kings and Kingdoms, looking at the various pitfalls in the lives of those who do not finish well from the book of Second Chronicles. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 25. As we take a look at this morning at the life of King Amaziah, to see how he began well, but he ended badly because he fell into the pitfall of disloyalty. This is the sixth pitfall that we've talked about, or are going to talk about. And if you missed the first five, uh, feel free to go to our church's website and you can catch up. Second Chronicles chapter 25. Look at me at verse 1 and 2 as I read. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. 
The Bible tells us that Amaziah is the son of King Joash, who we talked about last week. And if you remember our conversation about King Joash, he was killed by his royal staff in his bed. And so Amaziah was thrust to become king at the age of 25. And we find out in the scriptures that in verse 3 to 4, that Amaziah punishes those who killed his father Joash. But as a sign that he honored and respected the law of the Lord, he did not kill the rest of their families. And by doing so, he showed his heart for the Lord. As verse 2 tells us, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And so he starts off relatively well, but I want you to note something the chronicler wrote. He wrote something about his heart, something that's going to prefigure what's going to happen. The Bible tells us, the chronicler wrote in verse 2, but he did not have a loyal heart. Amaziah did not have a heart that was wholeheartedly obedient to God. He had a half a heart, you can call it. He was half loyal. He had a heart that was half loyal to God. Why is it important to be unconditionally, totally loyal in your heart to God? The importance is because if you don't have an unconditional, loyal heart, then there will be things in our life that draw us away from our loyalty to God. There will be certain life conditions and certain people and certain life situations that will come into our life that will draw our loyalty away. Especially as it relates to our spiritual life. Because if I were to ask you this morning, do you have a heart for God? Are you loyal to Him? I'm sure everyone would raise their hand and say, absolutely. But then I'm sure that there is something in your life, there will come a point in your life, a circumstance perhaps, that will draw you away from God unless your heart is completely loyal to Him and you are bound to the Lord. For example, just think, how loyal are you to a brand? How committed are you to buying the same brand of soap every time? How committed are you to buying the same brand of shampoo? Same brand of clothing line or, or, or drink or perhaps even a paint? We all have different brand loyalties. Now, would you consider buying the very same brand... If perhaps a new competitor came along and charged one-half to one-third less than the brand you are loyal to, would you continue to buy that brand? Would you be loyal to a brand that costs you two times or three times as much as a competitor offering the same product? You know, it's interesting that in the marketing world, they talk about keeping customer loyalty. It's a bit of an oxymoron and it's a bit ironic that you have to keep a customer's loyalty. Isn't the very nature of loyalty that you don't have to keep them somehow, that they will stick with you? But that is indicative of where our culture is going today, where even the word loyalty doesn't carry the same weight as it once did. Because now we have to say unconditional loyalty. Because truth be told, loyalties often shift and it shifts with the wind now you say are you trying to sell a product pastor no i'm not i want you to take it up one level 
What about loyalty to your spouse? Would you be loyal to your husband, your wife, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later when they have aged physically? If perhaps a better product comes along, and I use that in quotes, people are not product, of course, but you know what I'm talking about. What if someone nicer, more beautiful, more handsome, someone who's kinder, and someone who actually listens to you and doesn't brush you off when you want to talk with them, someone who affirms you with sweet words and is thoughtful enough to buy you something on special occasions or non-special occasions when they see you simply down? What if a person like that walks by you and begins to become invested in your life? Will you still be loyal to your husband or wife. Let's move it up one level higher. Would you be loyal to the Lord in your spiritual life? What if in your life you never have, you never have the opportunity to get married? God never brings a special someone into your life. What if in your married life you're not able to have children? What if you are not able to achieve the corporate achievements you want? What if in your life you don't have the financial attainment that you want. What if in your life, the one you prayed for, for healing, doesn't get healed? Or even for yourself, that God gives you a disease and you've been praying and God doesn't take it away. Would you still be loyal to the God who can do the impossible, but doesn't do it, it seems, in your mind? That's where the gravity of your loyalty to God really comes in play. And so the question I ask you is, are you and I really loyal to God? What are the ramifications if we don't? Verse 5. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds according to their father's houses throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle spear and shield. In verse 5 to 6 we read that Amaziah reorganizes his army and he counts his men and he finds that he has, at least in Judah, 300,000 20-year-olds and above who could at least hold a sword and shield. They are not necessarily warriors, but at least able-bodied men who could go to war. Perhaps sensing that either some of them were not ready to go into battle or this was insufficient to protect the country, look what he does in verse 6. He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. We find out that Amaziah also hires 100,000 mercenary warriors from the northern tribes of Israel, all who the Bible says were mighty men of valor. They were all brave men. They were all battle-hardened. Now, if you remember, after King Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And although they were related as the same people group, they often had a love-hate relationship. Sometimes they were good with each other. Sometimes they were fighting. But they were in a time of relative peace, and that's why they're able to hire, at least the south is able to hire 100,000 hired hands from the north. But what does God think about this? Look at verse 7. 
But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim. God sends a prophet to Amaziah and tells him, you should not use these 100,000 men from the north. Not because they could not fight, not because they were not good as soldiers, but because they did not believe in the one true God. The reason was that none of the kings of the north ever turned to Yahweh. There were no good spiritual kings of the north. There were a few in the south, but nothing in the north, because they worshipped the Baals and the false gods. And therefore, these men from the north did not believe in the one true God. And because they didn't, how in the world could God be with them and God bless this combined army? You see, you can't have an army that is led by leaders who follow God and join with it men who don't even follow God. How can God's name be honored and glorified in this? Now put yourself in the shoes of Amaziah. If you were a military commander knowing that there were 100,000 able-bodied men, battle-hardened, would you accept them into your army? Or would you follow the will of God? I think most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, would tell us, would tell ourselves, let's get these people. We're hiring them not for their faith with Jesus Christ. We're hiring them because they are able to perform a duty well, right? That's how we justify it. And in our mixed up world today, where performance and outcome is of primary importance more than matters of faith, it doesn't really matter. In fact, the world would call this argument ridiculous. 100,000 warriors, and you wouldn't use them because they don't believe in God? It's the problem of our culture today. Again, we pride and put as a priority performance and outcome over that of matters of faith. And you even see this in the churches today, especially in North America. I've got friends in America who tell me, to my surprise, that there are many churches, small and large, who will hire musicians, song leaders, instrumentalists, to lead worship when they're not even Christians. And they are hired, not because of their faith, but because they can play the guitar, because they can play the piano well, because they can sing well. They can play and sing the Christian songs technically well. But I'm sure you wouldn't allow that in our church, and I wouldn't allow that in our church. Because can you imagine how ridiculous it would be to have those who are leading in the worship of God, people who don't even acknowledge God. But yet, in the changing culture of our time today, it's accepted. We're inviting them not for their spiritual life. We're inviting them because they have a talent and can perform. Be careful. Look at verse 8. The prophet continues, But if you go, be gone. Be strong in battle. Even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and to overthrow. The prophet continues that if you go into battle without God, fine, go. But you will fail. You can either choose to use them, and you will fail, or if you choose not to use them, note this, At the end of verse 8, God has the power to help and to overthrow. Both positive and negative. 
You see, the prophet is pointing to a God who is able. He's reminding Amaziah of the God who he is loyal to. This is a God who is not a weakling. This is not a God who will let you down. The God whom you are loyal to, Amaziah, is a God who is able to help and to overthrow. And this is important to note. You see, my friends, the object of your loyalty is just as important as the loyalty itself. We often talk about the loyalty, the aspect of loyalty, to be loyal to God. But have you ever thought about whom we're loyal to? We're loyal to the, the God who is able to do all things. And so if we place our loyalty in the object of one who is able to do all things for us, then if He commands us to do something ridiculous and doesn't make sense to us, and perhaps something we don't agree with, then it's okay. I will still do it. I will stand by His side, even if the world mocks me, even if the world does not agree with it. You remember Noah? When God told him to build the ark, it had never rained before in history. Never rained before. And God said, Noah built an ark and there were oppositions, there were people who mocked him. And if he did not understand the object of his loyalty as the God who can fulfill what he says he will do, then I'm sure he would have stopped a long time ago. But loyalty is standing by God and living out his commandments even though it doesn't make sense. Remember Nehemiah, when God told him to build the wall, rebuild the wall, help in that? He was mocked, he encountered great opposition, and yet his loyalty was not with those who were making fun of him. His loyalty was with the God who was able to help him rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And we can go on and on. When we think about the object of our loyalty, it should challenge us to stand closer with God. Mac Lake, in an article on leadership entitled The Small Demonstrations of Disloyalty, talks about a relationship between workers and their boss. And he writes these words, and I think it's important. He said, I've never served under a leader that I agree with 100% of everything he says or he does. My guess is your, your experience has always and also been the same. To serve under a leader that you agree with 100% of the time, no one does that. But note what he writes. But agreement is not the basis of loyalty. You are not loyal to someone because you agree with them. Loyalty is rooted in relationship and respect. Regardless of differing opinions, approaches, or philosophies. Did you get that? Loyalty is rooted in relationship and respect, regardless of differing opinions, approaches, and philosophies. And so if our loyalty is foundation on God and the object of the one with whom we are in relationship is one with respect and in a relationship that we honor, then whether we agree with God or not, we still stick with Him. Whether we agree and find ridiculous what He asks us to do is not the point. God never says, here's a principle, here's a command, Let's take a vote. Do you want to do it or not? Anyone? Anyone? No. He says, this is the principle. This is the command. Do it as a sign of your loyalty to me. 
You show your loyalty by obeying His commands, His instructions, and may I add, even when it doesn't make sense. You know, Amaziah, like us, could have argued with the Lord all day. But Lord, this is one-fourth of my army. They are good. They are experienced. These 20-year-olds, half of them can't even carry a sword. I've got to train them. The chronicler doesn't doubt Amaziah's argument. If he were to give it, they were men of valor, brave men. But if you're going to be loyal to God, then you believe that He's able to help you, and therefore you do it according to His way. Modern example is how you run your businesses. Do you run your businesses the right way as it should, trusting that God will be able to help you even though everyone tells you you're crazy and that you don't understand the culture and how the Filipino economy works? So let's put this all together. First principle, number one. It's a little bit long, but let's put it together. Loyalty is standing with God by obeying His commands, knowing He is able to help you. Loyalty is standing with God. We know that part. By obeying His commands, that is the actionable work of our loyalty to God. Loyalty is standing with God by obeying His commands, living out His principles, knowing He is able to help you, knowing that He is able to do all things, We don't do it because we like it. We don't do it because we agree with it. We don't do it because He compels us to do it and we're guilted into doing it. We do it because we know He can help us achieve what He wants us to do. The Bible tells us the prophet's word, for God has power to help and to overthrow. The second principle, look at verse 9. Then Amaziah said to the men of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? And the men of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. Well, Amaziah gives a complaint. He says, Oh, Sayang, too bad. I've already given them the money. I've already given them a hundred talents of silver. That's 7,500 pounds of silver, three and a quarter ton. It's a lot of money, a lot of precious metals. Lord, I've already given it to them. But the prophet's response is very important for us to understand. The prophet says, Amaziah, don't you worry about the money. God will make it up to you. If you do the right thing and you trust Him with your loyalty, God will give you more than what you have spent. Would you underline the end of verse 9? The Lord is able. He can do it. He doesn't say He will do it. He can do it. He will be able to give you more than this. Verse 10, So Amaziah discharged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim to go back home. Therefore their anger was greatly aroused against Judah, and they retired home in great anger. Amaziah, remaining loyal to God, sent home the 100,000 men back to the north. And of course, they were angry. But more important than Amaziah was not their anger, but that he remained loyal to God. We find in verses 11 to 12 that Amaziah takes his 300,000 or however many he assembles to wage a war against their enemies, the Edomites. 
And the Bible tells us in verse 11 and 12 that he has an amazing victory. It was such a complete victory that he would take home the spoils of war. So yes, Amaziah loses initially 100 talents of silver, but God made it up to him with a great victory over the Edomites and with that, the spoils of war. My friends, understand this. God will be no one's debtor. He will not owe you. So he says at the end of verse 9, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. And here's our second principle, number two. Loyalty is standing with God by obeying His commands. You heard that before. Knowing He can make up your temporary loss. We obey His commands as we stand loyal to Him, knowing He can make up your temporary loss. Everyone in this life wants to win. And that's why we become disloyal. We all want to get the cheaper price. We all want to get the better deal. We all want to do something to succeed well. We, we stab our friends in the back to join other friends so that we can move up the corporate ladder. We make friends with people who are smart. We have friends with people we can use. We all want to win. We all want to game the system. And that's how we treat God sometimes. We come to Him when we need Him. And when we don't need Him, we'll look for someone else. And then when we need Him again, we'll come back. Loyalty is standing with God by obeying His commands, His principles, knowing He can make up your temporary loss. It's important to understand. He will make it up. You know, I've shared this before. It's a bit petty, but um, I reluctantly followed the Lord into the pastorate and one of my petty reasons why I didn't want to be a pastor and was reluctant was that I thought that if I became a pastor, I would not be able to travel as much as I was doing in my corporate job. And you know I love traveling. Well, guess what? I've done more traveling as a pastor when I was in the business world. And even better, I don't have to pay for most of my travels. It's a superficial example but it speaks to the truth of this principle. When you stand with God by obeying His command as a sign of your loyalty, He can make up your temporary loss. He doesn't have to. We don't accept prosperity gospel in that sense. He can. And the fact that He can make up your temporary loss in this life or in the next life should be enough to give you confidence to take the temporary loss in this life to know that there is something waiting for us in glory that is so much better. And that's why throughout the Scriptures, we are called to set our minds on things above. To take the loss now so that we can re reap the rewards later. And God has promised that He will make it up to us. And I'm going to hold God to that promise and so should you. So things are going well. He does what's right. But unfortunately, as you know, with all of these kings, there is a turning point. Look at Amaziah's turning point in verse 14. Now it was so, after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the people of Seir, set them up to be his gods, and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. 
The sad part was that Amaziah not only took the spoils of war from the Edomites, he also took the gods, little g, of the Edomites to worship them. Now, why would he do such a thing? It's almost shocking. In the verse before, he is loyal to God. Right in the next verse, we find out that he completely abandons God and he worships the idols of the Edomites, the very people he defeated. You know, all week I was struggling with this. Where's the motive? What changed? What happened? I looked at the corresponding passage in Kings. Nowhere does it tell us the motive of why Amaziah so quickly changed from the worship of God with a great victory to showing loyalty to the gods of Edom. And I think the chronicler does not give us a motive because it is the natural response of one who does not have a loyal heart. You see, if you don't have unconditional loyalty to God, almost anything can cause you to change your sides. We are very fickle people. We are very changeable. We change with the wind. We change when things are convenient for us. We change when things benefit us. What causes you to change from one product to another? If you were to ask me, as people often ask me, I don't know why, Pastor, what do you prefer, McDonald's or Jollibee? Both? No. If you were to ask me and push me to the answer, I'll tell you McDonald's. I grew up on that stuff in America. Given a choice between two, I'd always pick McDonald's. My family knows that. Except maybe for breakfast. Jollibee has a better breakfast lineup. But most of the time, McDonald's. You know, whenever I go speak uh, down south in uh, Cavite or somewhere Tagaytay, traveling down Eslex, I'm away from the family. It's my opportunity to get some fast food. And you know the, the stops, the Petron stop, the Caltech stop, you know those stops. Here's my chance. What do I often choose? What do I always choose? Do I choose McDonald's or Jollibee? You would think McDonald's, but I always choose Jollibee. Why? Because it's the first stop. And the reason is by the time you get from Quezon City down to Eslex, you've already gone through Makati, and that's about an hour and a half, and I need to go to the bathroom. And the only reason I choose Jollibee, not because I want to, but because I need to get a bathroom break, and it's there. It's a ridiculous choice. It's a ridiculous reason for why I would choose one over the other. But then again, it is no more ridiculous than why some people change from one school to another school because of one teacher. Or they change from one church to another church because one church member. Or because they change from one NBA basketball team to another NBA basketball team in their allegiance because the other team is winning. Or to change from Coke to Pepsi because one is available and one's not. Or to change from one spouse to another mistress because that other person says hi to you in the mornings. What are the reasons for why we change loyalty? There's a thousand and one. There is no reason. And that's why I believe the chronicler doesn't tell us why. But when you do not have an unconditionally loyal heart to God, from a snap of a finger through your life circumstance, through a changing of what happens in your life, you may flip. And we see it often in the lives of men and women. 
that is the nature of loyalty and that is the nature of our commitment to our loyalty. The most basic definition of loyalty is sticking with that person regardless of the circumstance. But if there is a half-loyal heart, then there is no loyalty at all. If something is half-hearted, there is no heart at all. Amaziah's half-loyalty is really no loyalty at all. You know, we as Christians have taken what's black and white and made it gray. And we believe that there's some sort of middle ground. There is no middle ground. You either are loyal to God or you are not loyal to Him. The very root word of loyalty means you stick with Him through all circumstances. There is no being loyal to Him most of the time. If you're loyal to someone most of the time, you're not loyal, period. Isn't that true? I came across an article talking about the stages of disloyalty. And in this article, the author notes that the first stage of disloyalty is an independent spirit. And here's what the author writes. Stage one, the independent spirit. This is the first stage of disloyalty that must be vigorously attacked and dealt with. This is the point when a person belonging to a group, an association, a firm, or ministry develops an autonomous attitude behavior against the laid down rules. This is the stage the devil deceives a lot of people with the need to make independent decisions. This is the time when people think they are of age and do not need to be submissive to others in any way. They feel they are intelligent beings capable of making decisions best known to them. Case in point, Adam and Eve at the very beginning. What? We can't eat this fruit? I want to eat this fruit. I'm not going to die. Let's give it a try. When God's words were so clear, an independent spirit that says, I think I know better than God. And so perhaps with this independent streak of his, I've already defeated the Edomites. I can do what I want. Amaziah turned. Verse 15. Therefore the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah, and he sent a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people which could not rescue their own people from your hand? So it was as he talked with them that the king said to him, Have we made you the king's counselor? Cease. Why should you be killed? Then the prophet ceased and said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not heeded my advice. God sends a prophet to Amaziah to rebuke him. And here is the argument of the prophet. How can you worship and be loyal to a false god who cannot even rescue his own people? What great logic. Logic is right on point. How can you be loyal to a God who cannot even help you? In contrast to the one true God who gives you victory even though you don't have one-fourth of your army. Right? Why would you worship a God that is inanimate, that cannot even protect its own people? And yet Amaziah fell into the pitfall of disloyalty when he begins to trust in things that do not have the ability to help him. Here is the corollary to that first principle, the contrast corollary. Disloyalty to God causes you to turn to things that are not able to help you. If you want to know if you're disloyal, here it is. 
Disloyalty to God causes you to turn to things that are not able to help you, and that's the world. That's everything that the world offers. The world doesn't even know what tomorrow holds. The future is in the hands of God. Why do we place our lives into the world who cannot even know the future? If you believe that God is able to do what He says He can do, then you remain loyal to Him. If not, then you take the other side and you be loyal to the world and its inanimate objects, the idols of this world, and you will find out He can't even protect you. You see, you cannot remain neutral. You either are loyal to God or you're not loyal to Him. And if you're not loyal to Him, you are loyal to the world. You cannot serve two masters, the Bible tells us. You must take a stand. You know, we have this notion that we can remain on the sideline. I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic, I don't believe in anything. Let me tell you what, there's only two sides. There's no sideline. Your silence and your neutrality states the loyalty of your side. When it comes to something like creation, do you believe that God created the heavens and the world and the earth? Or do you believe that it was a big bang? The answer of a Christian of I don't know is very telling. Because if a Christian does not believe that the God of the universe can create the world in six days with His spoken word, what in the world are we believing God for? Right? Christians cannot remain on the sideline. There is no neutral position. Remember the words of former President George W. Bush after the terrorist attack of 9-11? We may not all agree with his foreign policy, but he was clear-cut. Here's what he said. You're either with us or you're against us. You're either with us or you're against us. It's as simple as that. If you choose to remain silent then America is going to take it as if you're against us. So it is in the Scriptures. You are either with God or you are not. There is no neutral position. Of course, God gives us time to think about it and process and grow and to grow in our faith. But at some point in your life, you need to make a decision. And although Amaziah made a decision early on, it wasn't a hardcore decision. And that's why he wavered. Notice also his attitude in verse 16. Like many of the kings we talked before, who fell into the pitfalls of life, he was quick to anger, quick to be upset when he was rebuked and corrected and didn't get his way. Oh, it would have been a great opportunity for Amaziah to repent at this time. And perhaps God would have brought him up again. But he had fallen into the pitfall of disloyalty when he turned to things that are not even able to help him. Look at verse 17. Now Amaziah, king of Judah, asked advice. I wonder whose advice. And sent to Joash, same name but not his father, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us face one another in battle. Why in the world would Amaziah pick a fight with his northern neighbors? Well, apparently, if you read in verse 13, the 100,000 mercenaries, uh, what were they doing? They began to raid some of the outer towns and cities of Judah uh, because they were probably mad. And so Amaziah, to stop this, wanted to go to war with the north. Perhaps he felt a great victory uh, and confidence over the Edomites that he wanted to pick another fight with the northern neighbor. 
Well, Joash, king of the north, sent to Amaziah, king of the south, a message. Verse 18. The thistle that is in Lebanon sent to the cedar that it was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son as wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. Indeed, you say that you have defeated the Edomites and your heart is lifted up in boast. Stay at home now. Why should you meddle with trouble that you should fall, you and Judah, with you? But Amaziah would not heed, for it came from God that he might give them into the hand of their enemies, because they sought the gods of Edom. Joash, who is also referred to as Jehoahash in 2 Kings, gives Amaziah an analogy in verse 18. Let me help you understand it. The thistle, the thistle is like a little weed type of plant. The thistle is Amaziah of the south. The cedar is a grand, majestic tree up in Lebanon. It's up in the north. And the cedar represents Joash of the north. And here's what Joash is saying. Hey, little thistle, you are demanding of the cedar. This little shrub is demanding of this great tree that he give his daughter as a wife for his son. But in the arrogance of this thistle, the arrogance of Amaziah, it will result in wild beast running over the thistle. And the wild beast represents the armies of Israel. And here's the point. Don't be so arrogant, Amaziah, that you think that you can overplay your hand. You overcame a minor enemy of the Edomites. Don't overplay your hand thinking you can destroy someone bigger like your northern neighbors. But God caused Amaziah's stubbornness and pride, which was already in his heart and his arrogance, to punish him in allowing Amaziah to fulfill his heart's desire to his defeat because he was disloyal to God. Sometimes God does that. God allows us to have what we want. It is a good thing, I hope you understand. It is a good thing that God doesn't allow us to have all that we want and all that we want to do. Because if He did, none of us would be here today. We'd all be, dis- we'd all be dead probably. The things we want often lead to our destruction. Well, in verses 21 to 24, we find out that Amaziah does go to war against Joash of the north. And they meet at a town called Beth Shemesh. And he is utterly defeated. He is captured. He's taken to his own capital where Jerusalem is destroyed. He is humiliated. And Joash takes all the treasures of Jerusalem, even the storehouses of jewels and the gold and silver of the temple, and he takes it all with him. You see, the second corollary to that second principle, disloyalty to God often causes one trying for temporary gain to experience permanent loss. Disloyalty to God often causes one trying for temporary gain to experience permanent loss. You see, if you're not going to be loyal to the one who can make it up to you, then guess what? It is within His right for you to suffer loss. And in some cases, permanent loss. When we disassociate from a God who is able to make things up for us, He is under no obligation 
to help you again. Do you ever think about that? You know, if you, if you have a great friend and you stab them in the back, if you abandon them for another friend because of whatever reason, if you stab your friend in the back, abandon them for someone else, when you come crawling back to them and say, friend, would you take me back? Are they under obligation to take you back? Of course not. If they are, they're an amazing friend. But if you've hurt someone in the back, you've stabbed them, you've talked about them, and then you come back and say, hey, I need you to be my friend. No one would say anything if that person doesn't take you back. In the same way, we abandon God. You've got to understand this principle. He is under no obligation to take care of you when you come back to Him. He is under no obligation to keep coming back to your rescue, especially when He has warned you. Now, I'm a big believer in grace. Our church's name is Grace. God is a forgiving God. God is a God who would welcome us back if we sincerely repent and come back. And the story of the prodigal son reminds us of that. But in how He works, we've got to get the complete picture of God. He is gracious. He is merciful. But remember also not to take His patience for granted. Because it is within His prerogative to teach us the lesson of the consequences of disloyalty and to suffer what we deserve. On the balance between grace and discipline, God is going to err on the side of grace. But don't forget that it is within His right to err on the side of discipline. You know, a lot of Christians come up to me and say, Pastor, where's my blessings? I came back to church. I'm a Christian now. I've repented of my same sin a hundred times. But I'm back now. I'm at a good place. Where's my blessings? You see, they've got this notion that as long as they come back, God just heaps upon them blessings which affords them the opportunity to go sin some more and then they repent and then they come back and God showers them with blessings. Don't test the patience of God. Could God have given Amaziah a second chance? Absolutely. Absolutely. But he chooses not to and is well within the right of God not to do so. So be careful. Disloyalty to God will often cause us trying to get some sort of temporary worldly gain to experience a permanent loss of something. But remember, God is patient. Just don't test that patience. Amaziah lost everything. His city, his storehouses, his treasury, his pride. All because he fell into the pitfall of disloyalty. If only he had been loyal to God, he would have been a great king. He would have experienced God making it up to him as God has promised. But he doesn't. How does this life end? Look at verse 25 to 28. Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah from first to last indeed, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? 
After the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. But they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. Then they brought him on horses and buried him with his fathers in the city of Judah. While he outlived Joash by 15 years, he was so disliked and he was so unpopular with the people that they conspired to kill him. He was so scared that he had to flee to Lachish about a 30 mile southwest by walk of, of Jerusalem to escape a conspiracy by the people. But like his father before him, they found him there and his own people assassinated him. We call that poetic justice. To die because of the disloyalty of his own people when he first became disloyal to God. It's, it's a bit of an irony. He, di- he, he died in the hands of men and women who were supposed to be loyal to him. Just like he was disloyal to the God who had given him everything. May that be a warning to us to avoid the pitfall of disloyalty by remaining unconditionally loyal to the one through our actions and obedience to his principles because he is able to help us in all circumstances and he's able to make up for your temporary loss in this earth. Why? So that you and I can finish well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is a good reminder even to me to examine my heart to see if I will ever give up on you based on any life circumstances or any life situation. May you find in this church men and women whose hearts are totally sold out on you, who have made an unconditional commitment of loyalty to follow the God who is able to do all in His omnipotence and able to make up for us any loss that we may experience temporarily. Lord, help us not to be blinded by the catcalls of this world that sells us their products cheap and us desiring a bargain run to a world because we get what we pay for. And the one who paid with his life through his son, Jesus Christ, who gave everything for us, you are the one we want to remain always with until the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.